Redfield Arts Audio presents. I'm on my way up to Canaan Lane. The Drum Major, a Palatine Hill I'm on production. My way with Michael Mack as the voice of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Narrated by Jim Pollock and Leslie Wilson. Up to Canaan land Oh, I'm on my way Glory, hallelujah I'm on my way Was a mighty hard climbing the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. was one of the most important thinkers the world has ever produced. In 1963, he emerged as the shining star of the Civil Rights Movement. In 64, he was the youngest to win a Nobel Peace Prize. Some even wanted him to run for President of the United States. But three years later, his critics called him a has-been, a failure. Talk of using violence to achieve black power was becoming fashionable. According to one biographer, King, who had dreamt of a universal human family, took the new social climate so hard that he told his congregation at Ebenezer Baptist Church, Life is a continual story of shattered dreams. And he kept wondering, Where do we go? How do we get there? And it was then, in 1967, while having lunch with a friend, the Dr. King looked at Ramparts magazine and saw pictures of Vietnamese children covered in napalm. He pushed his plate of food away and said, Nothing will ever taste any good for me until I do everything I can to end that war. April 4, 1967, at Riverside Church in New York City, Dr. King delivers a speech that will make him one of the most controversial figures in American history. I am convinced that if we are to get on the right side of the world revolution, we as a nation must undergo a radical revolution of value. We must rapidly begin the shift from a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society. When machines and computers, profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplet of racism, materialism, and militarism is incapable of being conquered. A true revolution of values will soon cause us to question the fairness and justice of many of our past and present policies. On the one hand, we are called to play the Good Samaritan on life's roadside, but that will only be an initial act. One day we must come to see that the whole Jericho Road must be transformed so that men and women will not be constantly beaten and robbed as they make their journey along life's highway. True compassion is more than flinging a coin at a beggar. It is not haphazard and superficial. It comes to see that an edifice which produces beggars needs restructuring. 
A true revolution of values will soon look uneasily on the glaring contrast of poverty and wealth. With righteous indignation, it will look across the seas and see individual capitalists of the West investing huge sums of money in Asia, Africa, and South America only to take the profits out with no concern for the social betterment of the countries and say, this is not just. It will look at our alliance with the landed gentry of Latin America and say, this is not just. The Western arrogance of feeling, that it has everything to teach others and nothing to learn from them is not just. A true revolution of values will lay hands on the world order and say of war, this way of settling differences is not just. This business of burning human beings with napalm, of filling our nation's homes with orphans and widows, of injecting poisonous drugs of hate into veins of peoples normally humane, of sending people home from dark and bloody battlefields physically handicapped and psychologically deranged, cannot be reconciled with wisdom, justice, and love. A nation that continues year after year to spend more money on military defense than on all programs of social uplift is approaching spiritual death. America, the richest and most powerful nation in the world, can well lead the way in this revolution of values. There is nothing except a tragic death wish to prevent us from reordering our values so that the pursuit of peace will take precedence over the pursuit of war. There is nothing to keep us from molding a recalcitrant status quo with bruised hands until we have fashioned it into a brotherhood and sisterhood. This kind of positive revolution of values is our best defense against totalitarianism. War is not the answer. Our greatest defense is to take offensive action in behalf of justice. We must with positive action seek to remove those conditions of poverty, insecurity, and injustice which are the fertile soil in which the seeds of desperate actions grow. Historians and journalists speculate that this speech heralded the coming of a new Dr. King. The illusion of him as a country preacher who simply wanted blacks and whites to hold hands was shattered. Now in the minds of many, he was a radical and going too far his open criticism of Johnson administration policies brought powerful enemies. Some of the black leadership turned against him. There were death threats. Yet Dr. King continued speaking out against war and poverty, regardless of the cost. In February of 1968, King went to a fundraiser in Hollywood and spoke with James Baldwin, who had been with him at the March on Washington. According to Baldwin, King seemed weary and sad. The people no longer believed in their petitions or their government. King started to lose faith himself. We're in terrible shape with this poor people's campaign. Just isn't working. 
people aren't responding. One insider remembered King as more depressed than he'd ever seen him before. I did everything I could to help him, but I couldn't do much. February 4, 1968, Ebenezer Baptist Church. King delivers the speech that will serve as his eulogy exactly two months and five days later. He is 39 years old. Every now and then I guess we all think realistically about that day when we will be victimized with what is life's final common denominator. That's something we call death. We all think about it. And every now and then I think about my own death and I think about my own funeral and I don't think of it in a morbid sense. And every now and then I ask myself, what is it that I would want said? And I leave the word with you this morning. If any of you are around when I have to meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. And every now and then I wonder what I want them to say. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That isn't important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or four hundred other awards. That's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for somebody to say that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. I want you to say that day that I tried to be right on the war question. And I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to feed the hungry. And I want you to be able to say that day that I did try in my life to clothe those who were naked. I want you to say that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were in prison. I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. Yes, if you want to say I was a drum major, say I was a drum major for justice, say that I was a drum major for peace, I was a drum major for righteousness, and all the other shallow things will not matter. I won't have any money to leave behind. I won't have the final luxurious things of life to leave behind. But I just want to leave a committed life behind. And that's all I want to say. If I can help somebody as I pass along. If I can cheer somebody with a word or song. If I can show somebody he's traveling wrong. Then my living will not be in vain. If I can do my duty as a Christian ought, if I can bring salvation to a world once wrought, if I can spread the message as the master taught, then my living will not be in vain. Yes, Jesus, I want to be on your right or your left side, not for any selfish reason. I want to be on your right or your left side, not in terms of some political kingdom or ambition, but I just want to be there in love and in justice and in truth and in commitment to others so that we can make of this old world a new world. There was trouble in Memphis, trouble in the Valley of Tennessee. The sanitation workers had formed a union they asked the city to recognize their union and grant them a contract that improved wages and the working conditions that had cost lives. The city refused. 
Most of the 1,300 sanitation workers went on strike. They needed help. The Reverend James Lawson, a Methodist pastor, turned to Dr. King. Against the advice of many, Dr. King arrived in Memphis for a large demonstration on March 28, 1968. King marched at the front of the crowd, but there was disruption at the back of the line. Store windows were broken. Black power signs appeared as the police attacked with clubs, tear gas, and gunfire. By the end of the day, 60 people were injured. One fatally killed by police. The press blamed King, and though there was a price on his head, up to $50,000 by some accounts, he returned for another march as promised. Media reports included the name of the motel where he stayed, even the room number. April 3, 1968, Mason Temple. Dr. King delivers what will be his last sermon. I'm delighted to see each of you here tonight, in spite of the storm warning. Something is happening in Memphis. Something is happening in our world. You know, if I were standing at the beginning of time, with the possibility of general and panoramic view of the whole human history up to now, and the Almighty said to me, Martin Luther King, which age would you like to live in? I would take my mental flight by Egypt, across the Red Sea, through the wilderness and on toward the Promised Land. And in spite of its magnificence, I wouldn't stop there. I would move on by Greece and take my mind to Mount Olympus and I would see Plato and Aristotle, Socrates, Euripides, and Aristophanes assembled around the Parthenon as they discussed the great and eternal issues of reality. But I wouldn't stop there. I would go on, even to the great heyday of the Roman Empire. But I wouldn't stop there. I would even come up to the day of the Renaissance. But I wouldn't stop there. I would watch Martin Luther as he tacked his 95 theses on the door at the church in Wittenberg, but it wouldn't stop there. I would come on up even to 1863 and watch a vacillating president by the name of Abraham Lincoln finally come to the conclusion that he had to sign the Emancipation Proclamation, but it wouldn't stop there. I would even come up to the early 30s and see a man grappling with the problems of the bankruptcy of his nation and come with the eloquent cry that we have nothing to fear but fear itself but it wouldn't stop there strangely enough i would turn to the almighty and say if you would allow me to live just a few years in the second half of the 20th century i will be happy now that's a strange statement to make because the world is all messed up. The nation is sick, but I know somehow that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. 
Men for years now have been talking about war and peace. But now no longer can they just talk about it. It is no longer a choice between violence and nonviolence in this world. It's nonviolence or non-existence. I left Atlanta this morning. And as we got started on the plane, there were six of us. The pilot said over the public address system, we are sorry for the delay, but we have Dr. Martin Luther King on the plane. And to be sure that all of the bags were checked and to be sure that there would be nothing wrong with the plane, we had to check out everything carefully. And we've had the plane protected and guarded all night. And then I got to Memphis. And some began to say the threats or talk about the threats that were out. What would happen to me? Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worrying about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Dr. King returned to the Lorraine Motel relaxed. He stayed up late working on a sermon and a meeting with his brother, who didn't arrive in Memphis until after midnight. King remained in good spirits on April 4. He met with his staff and made dinner plans with friends. Now, standing on the balcony at 6 p.m., he said to a friend in the parking lot below, Hey, make sure you play Precious Lord Take My Hand at the meeting tonight. Sing it real pretty. Then a gunshot rang out. You're listening to Canaan Land, performed by Donald Leese. Was a mighty hard climbing, Lord, I'm on my way. Was a mighty hard climbing, but I'm on my way. Hey, I'm on my way. Glory, hallelujah. I'm on my way.
Redfield Arts Audio presents The Drum Major, a Palatine Hill production, with Michael Mack as the voice of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., narrated by Jim Pollock and Leslie Wilson. Music and sound by Jennifer Rouse. Canaan Land, performed by Donald Lease. Special thanks to Jeff Herberger. Produced by Michael Mack and Jim Pollock. Audio recorded at Drat Productions, Bill Dixon, audio engineer. Written and directed by Michael Mack. Come on, I'm on my way up to Canaan land. I'm on my way up to Canaan land. Yeah, I'm on my way. Glory, hallelujah. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Glory, hallelujah. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Glory, hallelujah. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Thank you.